Okay. Good day, everyone. Um, <clears throat> because of the uh, earlier times for Mincha here in Jerusalem now, so our time slot has been advanced. I thank you all for coming on. Today we begin a uh, new uh, cycle of the Torah, Harshat Breshit. And the uh, Parsha is one of the most fascinating Parshat in the Torah. And there are many subtle uh, ideas that are apparent in the Parsha, but they're not readily apparent. And one has to somehow uh, not search for them, but one has to think about the language of the Parsha and the words that are chosen. And then uh, one will, I think, appreciate many of the messages that are hidden within the Parsha. You know, the Torah is defined not only by uh, the black letters written on the parchment, but on the white spaces that exist between the lines and the letters and the words. And in fact, uh, every sofer knows that there are absolute halachot uh, about the white spaces and not only about the black letters. And that is meant to indicate to us that we are to appreciate the subtleties, and the nuances that the Torah comes to teach us. So uh, there are two subjects I want to deal with uh, in this uh, shear. Uh, the first one has to do naturally with Shabbat, the uh, great concept. Now the Torah introduces us to Shabbat here in Parashat Breshit. It does not uh, do so in terms of a commandment. It doesn't do so in terms of defining uh, what uh, Shabbat, uh, so to speak, uh, represents in halacha. It does so rather in terms of an ideal and an idea. And the ideal and idea is represented in the fact that built into creation, and just as there were six days of creation, and uh, the uh, concept of light and energy is created on the first day, and the animals are on the fifth day, and man is on the sixth day, just as those uh, concepts of creation are uh, built into the universe that we know, so too the seventh day is also part of creation. That's also built into the universe. So that Shabbat is not the absence of six days of work, and then the seventh day is nothing. But the seventh day is in itself a creation, but in a different form. 
and we find that reflected in halacha and in the Torah itself. That uh, Shabbat is a losas, eh? it's a love, it's a commandment not to do things. Losas don't do malacha. And malacha is defined by us by the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat as uh, the 39 types of work or creativity or artistry that went into the building of the Mishkan of the Tabernacle. So whatever went into that is defined as work. Whatever did not go into that is does not fall under the category of malacha. So the losas of the Torah, the love, the negative commandment, is not to do those 39 types of creative human behavior, not to plow, not to plant, not to harvest, not to write, not to erase. Uh, those 39 malachas which are enumerated and discussed at length in uh, the uh, Mishnah in Shabbat, in Kal Godot, the seventh chapter of Shabbat. And uh, what emanates therefrom? Because those are like general categories, but substituted and underneath the general categories are particulars and depending upon time and circumstances, uh, we derive what are called malachot in each and every generation. Now, the mission had never discussed the computer with us or never discussed electricity with us. So there always was the question, under what category shall we place new technological advances. And regarding electricity, there's a debate even until today. There were some of the great scholars that said it was, it was under the category of creating fire. Others disagreed and said that it was not Shabbat. Chazonish said it was Bone, was creating a circuit, which is building. Shalom Zalman objected to that. And uh, there's discussion in the, in the halachic literature till today. In fact, I don't think it would be an exaggeration to say that we haven't quite put our finger halachically on what electricity is. I think that's because generally in physics and uh, science generally, even though electricity is our partner in everything, uh, we still don't know quite what it is. Is it uh, molecules? Is it a stream? Is it... What is it? And even though we're able to make it work, uh, we are still in somewhat of a quandary of why it works, how it works. 
So therefore, uh, in halacha, we also have, uh, so to speak, this gray area, this no man's land, where it's not clear. But it is clear that it is forbidden. It's one of the 39, it falls under one of the 39 headings. There's always a difference of opinion. There's a difference of opinion in the Gemara itself regarding many items as to under which of the 39 headings this malacha, this activity should fall. So that's the negative part, the negative part of Shabbat, the don't do it. But there's another part of Shabbat, a mitzvah saseh, a positive commandment to rest on Shabbat. Shvitat Shabbat, resting on Shabbat. And uh, the Ramban points out, for instance, that uh, a person may not violate any of the 39 categories of work that are defined on Shabbat and still not be a Shomer Shabbat because of the fact that he does not rest. There's no Menuchat Shabbat. So the famous example that's always given, it's brought in Allah, and it's discussed by the Rishonim over and over again, is that uh, I stay in my house all of Shabbat. I don't turn on the lights. I don't light fire. I don't do anything wrong. But what I do is I rearrange my furniture. So I, I pick up my heavy bed and move it. I move my dressers. I do hard physical labor. Now, Picking up my bed on Shabbat is not any of the 39 malachat of Shabbat. It does not violate any of those precepts. Nevertheless, the Ramban says that by so doing, I have violated the Shabbat because the Shabbat is meant for rest and doing hard labor, even if it does not fall under the 39 categories automatically is a violation of Shabbat. And that has many ramifications. I remember that when I uh, was a Roman Muncie, so uh, there were a bunch of teenage boys, not from my synagogue, but uh, they, they knew me and I knew them. And they were, came from observant Jewish homes. And they used to make a uh, basketball league and they played basketball outside every Shabbat. And I remember that I walked by once and I uh, looked at them and they must have noticed that in my stare, uh, there was a note of disapproval. And they said to me, Rebbe, what's the problem? There's an Arab in town. 
so uh, they missed out on the Ramban. There's an Erev in town, so you didn't violate any of the 39. You didn't carry. So uh, bouncing the ball and shooting it uh, is not a violation of any of the 39 principal work of principles of work on Shabbat, but it's certainly not a rest on Shabbat. Get all sweated up and uh, run and jump and do. And that's why Chazal said, you know, that on Shabbat you shouldn't take a psio gasa. Big steps. Shabbat is everything benachas, slowly. Has to have an aura of menucha to it. And anything that does not have that aura of menucha to it is not a fulfillment of the positive commandment that the Torah said, Laman Yonuach, rest on the Shabbat. And we find uh, an allusion to that in this week's parsha itself when Shabbat is introduced. The Ron Shalom finished. It was called Malachto. All of the work. So all the categories of work are completed. But then it says, Kivo Shovas, we call Malachto. He rested. Vayonach Vayom Ashvi. He brought Menucha to the seventh day. So the Torah itself in its introduction to Shabbat gives us already the two-faced, uh, so to speak, uh, attitude of Shabbat. Work, that's defined by the 39 categories. Menucha, that's the positive side of it. That's not so clearly defined. When I was young, I'm sure many of you remember too, and maybe it's current today as well. But my parents used to tell me, even when I was a child, I wanted to uh, play on Shabbat or go with the boys to play outside or something. They would say, it's a niche Shabbos it's not fit for Shabbos. As a child, so that's too sophisticated a concept to absorb. But as we grow older and the blessings of Shabbat descend upon us and we're able to experience what a blessing Shabbat is, I think it becomes clearer to us that there are things that are not Shabbistic. Because it violates the positive side. It makes out of us people that are not Shabbos Jews. You make Shabbos like Tuesday. And that misses out on the point 
that Shabbos is part of the creation. And that's why Chazal said that being a Shomer Shabbos is testimony to creation. And creation is testimony to the creator. And desecration of the Shabbat, God forbid, is, so to speak, a denial of the creator. And it's a denial of creation. And uh, I need not tell you what our world looks like because the Shabbat is missing in so many, so many areas. Nebuch in the Jewish world as well as in the non-Jewish world. So this Parsha is a forecast, it's a preface to what the Torah is going to teach us. The Torah is going to teach us about 39 types of malacha on Shabbat. The Torah is going to describe things in detail. The Torah is going to talk about making fire, about uh, uh, leaving the uh, immediate premises on Shabbat. All of that the Torah will discuss. But those are, so to speak, details into the general picture which this introduction of Shabbat in this week's Parsha has already indicated to us. And I think that's what Chazal meant. You know, it says Avram Avinu. We're going to have a deal with him in a few weeks. Avram Avinu, Kiyam et Kola Torah Kula. He fulfilled all of the mitzvahs of the Torah, even the Konim Shenitna, even before the Torah was given. What does that mean? Well, some take it literally. Somehow God imparted to him all of the 613 commandments. But there are others uh, of the Rishonim that say that it means that he understood the general principles. So he understood that Shabbat is there because creation has Shabbat within it. And he understood that he lives in a created world. And in living in a created world, then he said, if there's a bira, if there is a great uh, skyscraper that's built, somebody had to build it. Yovo Balabira. Let's see who the great creator is. And uh, that uh, that is really uh, a prime idea in Torah. That one can sense the allegiance to God from nature, uh, from one's own body. David HaMelech said, Mibsori from my own flesh, I see God. Look, look at the human body. I always remember that uh, my father-in-law, blessed memory. So uh, he had uh, he was under the care of a very famous cardiologist in Detroit. Very famous cardiologist. 
and he would go for regular checkups. He, you know, would become older. So uh, he once went for a uh, sonogram on his heart. And, uh, and then, uh, I don't know what the technology is today, it's probably far advanced, because I'm talking uh, over 30 years ago, 35 years ago. But then there was a uh, like a television screen in the room. And the patient, uh, my father-in-law was not under sedation. And the doctor said to him, Rabbi Levine, Look, 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 look at this great machine. We can see your heart. What a great machine we have. And my father-in-law said, look at the heart. What a machine that is. Something that beats uh, 70 times a minute for uh, decades and decades and decades. How's that for a machine? So the Torah wanted us to appreciate the relationship we have to the creator. And Shabbat reinforces that, not only through the absence of doing work, but through the positive side of rest on Shabbat, of Menuchat Shabbat. And that is such a vital lesson because there always were questions that arise in the the rabbinate. All of us have had that over and over again. Rabbi, can I do this? Can I do that? I'm not going to push the button. Somebody else will push the buttons. I'm not going to do anything. The answer always was that it could very well be that uh, you're not violating any of the 39 malachas of Shabbos. You would not have to bring a korban chattas for what you for what happened. But I cannot say that you're a shomer Shabbos because of the fact that somehow. You're not resting. There's no Menuchas Shabbos present. I remember one of the great struggles. uh, uh, My son-in-law was a rabbi in South Bend, Indiana. And South Bend, Indiana is uh, the home of Notre Dame University. And Notre Dame University is famous for its football team, among other things. And uh, because of that, everybody that lives in South Bend, if you want to be part of the community, you have to be a fan of Notre Dame. And Notre Dame University's football team always plays its games on Saturday. So he was always faced with the problem. Uh, Rabbi, we're going to turn on the television on Friday. We're not going to watch. We're not going to touch, etc. 
But then when the game is on, we'll just sit down and watch. I'm not doing anything. I think one of my son-in-law's greatest accomplishments in the rabbinate is that he was that when the VCRs were invented, that he was able to convince them to record the game, not to watch it, to record the game, and then Saturday night they could watch it. And uh, because said. You didn't do anything wrong, but that's not Shabbat. That's not Menuchat Shabbat. Watching a football game is not Menuchat Shabbat. And that's a delicate matter. It's very sensitive. You cannot, uh, so many times it's not even explainable to people. People don't understand what your problem is with them. So uh, the Torah here in Parshat Breshit really uh, expanded on this and predicted it, gave us a preface as to what's coming, so that later the Torah will say, "Veshomru b'nei Yisrael as Hashabos, la'asos as Hashabos l'doratzom." The Jewish people will observe the Shabbos. They'll guard the Shabbos. Lasso says a Shabbos. To make it Shabbos. How do you make it Shabbos? Not only by not doing any of the 39 categories of work, but by fulfilling the positive commandment, the mitzvah say of resting on Shabbos. So that's one uh, nuance that exists in this week's Parsha, uh, from which uh, much, much more can be developed. I uh, heard a shear from Rav Osher Weiss this week, uh, which he mentioned uh, two Shilas that uh, were uh, brought to the Hassam Sofer uh, almost 200 years ago. One was whether a Jew can uh, ride on the train on Shabbos. He doesn't have to pay money. It's all taken care of. He's not doing anything. He just gets on the train, sits down, and the train takes him. And the second Shiloh was whether or not a, uh, a Jew can sit in his store on Shabbos, wherever all the non-Jews that he has are working for him. They're taking the orders and they're making the change and they're doing it. He doesn't do anything. He just sits there. Is that permissible? And he... Uh, said that both cases, he said, are not permissible. He gave halachic reasons why he came to that conclusion, but then he advanced the policy reason. 
And we have lived to see how that policy reason always comes true. And he said, if you don't fulfill the positive side of Shabbat and merely refrain from violating the negative part, eventually the Shabbat will disappear from you completely too. Eventually you'll get on the train and uh, you'll buy the ticket. All of these things are a slippery slope. Look what happened to the conservative movement in our time. It's it's almost non-existent now. Simply because of the Shabbat, that was the beginning of the end. And they had a whole halachic tshuva written why it's not a violation of any of the 39 precepts of Malocha to drive a car. And it could very well be that there is halachic basis that that could be. It's a Malocha Shainatzricha. It's all sorts of uh, fancy uh, ways to say that it's not a violation. But it was the destruction of the Shabbat. It's not rest on Shabbat and goodbye. There's no zecher of Shabbat left in the conservative movement today. And without the Shabbat, and eventually all the other joys come, assimilation, intermarriage, weird things. So that's a policy decision as well. It's not only the mitzvahs I say, it's the policy. We're going to guard the Shabbat, the Shomru. And by guarding the Shabbat, we guarantee something that we couldn't survive as Jews. And the famous quote attributed to many that more than the Jews kept the Shabbat, the Shabbat kept the Jews. Second uh, point that I want to discuss with you, one of the main characters in this week's Parsha, if I could use that word, and I just did, is Cain. Cain, the son of Odom and Chava, the brother of Hevel, who uh, brought murder into the world. So we always think of Cain in a very negative sense, and uh, naturally there's good reason for that. The Rabboni Shalom Kaviochel accepted Cain as uh, a Balchuva, so to speak. And he protected Cain. Cain said, anybody that finds me will take revenge and kill me. And the Rabboni Shalom gave him a mark or whatever that meant. And uh, to protect him. And Cain would be, uh, seven generations would come 
as a sign of the preservation of Kayan. What's so remarkable about Kayan is the fact that he is the father of civilization. He built the city. He called the name of the city Hanoch after the name of his son. Kayan became productive. After being destructive, after being the one that destroyed, he destroyed his brother, destroyed generations, he brought shame and violence into the world. Somehow he rehabilitated himself and he brought civilization into the world, progress, creativity, positivity. So the Mephorshim say that the mark of Kayan, which in our uh, general literature, you say the mark of Cain, you're talking about a, a shameful mark. That if you, God forbid, a person has the mark of Cain, that's a sign that he's a murderer, he's an evil person, he's terrible. But that's not how the Torah saw it. The Torah saw, look out of Cain, even out of Cain. It's the Torah's optimism regarding human beings. It's the Torah's ability to see beyond the immediate. And Harbei Shluchim Lamokom, the Rabboni Shalom has many, many agents that further things in the world. Like in our time, for instance, uh, not only in our time, in all times, uh, the thing that most advances technology and medicine is war. The computers are here because of World War II. Penicillin is here because of World War II. Antibiotics. It's the very nature of destructive behavior that somehow carries within it the kernel of human development and of a better civilization and of the improvement of the lots of life that a people have. And that's one of the anomalies, really one of the paradoxes of all of human history. Uh, so we have, for instance, uh, if it wouldn't be for the atomic bomb, you wouldn't have nuclear medicine. So people can debate, is it worth it? Let's go back to the good old days. Let's go back to the 1800s. 50,000 people a year are killed in automobile accidents. You know, let's go back to the horse and buggy. But none of that is realistic, and we know that. 
can't turn the clock backwards. Once something is invented, it is here. And the creativity of man is unlimited. It's not predictable, but it is unlimited. And so Cain is the forerunner of that. He builds a city. Before him, there are no cities. He creates buildings, fosters populations. And he wants to be remembered for that and not for being a murderer. That's part of the process of tshuva. What does a person want to be remembered for? What's his legacy? So therefore it says that he called the name of the city Chanoch, which was the name of his son, meaning that that is what he wanted his legacy to be. He wanted to be remembered as the father of Hanoch, the builder of a city, not as the murderer of heaven. Rishoyim, Chazal say, Afilu al shel gehenim, enam chosrim b'tshuva. A true Russia someone who is truly evil never regrets the evil that he did. The terrible Nazis on their deathbed said, well, at least we destroyed the Jews. That's, so that's the side of evil. A good person will always say, in spite of what I may have done wrong, but this is what I want to be remembered for, for the good things that I did, for the positive things that I did, for the advancement of civilization, so to speak. And we see that throughout history. That's what people want to be remembered for. That's what gives us the drive to do good things. Because we don't want to be forgotten. And therefore, all of this has uh, great meaning for us. So we can look at Kai in, in a different perspective. See, Odoma Rishon, after committing the sin, so to speak, goes into retirement. We don't know anything more about him, but what about the rest of his life? He had another son, Sheit, and then that's it. He lives a millennia and he dies and goodbye. Cain, after he sins, turns positive pushes forward and therefore 
somehow in rabbinic literature we find that uh, the rabbis were much more benign towards him and viewed him as someone that did tshuva, that repented, and has a relationship to God. There's a famous uh, slicha that we recited uh, but in other times during the Aserah Shemei Tshuva and uh, that lists who were the famous Balei Tshuva. You'd be surprised that the there are many evil people there that we think have no redemptive qualities that the uh, Python lists as positive Bali Chuva, Achav, Kayan. So uh, one would have to say uh, that there are two types of evil in the world. There's evil that can never be redeemed That's the Nazis, that's the Gulag, that's Stalin, that's Chairman Mao. But there's evil that is capable of redemption. And the Torah introduces us to that in this week's Parsha at the beginning of the story of humanity. And therefore, the Torah is a book of optimism and not of pessimism. It's a story of what can be accomplished and built, and not only what has been destroyed and no longer exists. So I think that these are important issues and insights in this week's Parsha. And they exist in the white spaces, not in the black letters. But the Torah is a whole. It's an entire volume. And therefore, the white spaces also come to teach us great and good lessons about which we should all be aware. I thank you for listening. I want to wish you a Shabbat Shalom already. It's uh, late Thursday. And everyone should stay well. And we will continue to study together. I have a lecture series starting a week from this Saturday night. And uh, it'll be uh, in person in the shul if the government will let us. But in any event, it will be on Zoom as well. And uh, it will be recorded and available outside of Israel because it'll be Shabbat in Chutz uh, Lawrence yet. And it'll be available. Uh, so if you want to uh, find out more about it and check on it and subscribe, uh, please get a hold of Nocha Mamsel 
and uh, the Destiny Foundation uh, website. So he's Nochum at JewishDestiny.com. Nachum, N-A-C-H-U-M, at JewishDestiny.com. And he'll give you all the details. Uh, I uh, hope that uh, the lecture series will be informative and successful. Once again, thank you and stay well and call to Vsela.